Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back, fight fans, to BTR Boxing Podcast, the big fight reaction with myself, Sean, joined all the way from the US of A with the big dog, Lukey, stepping in for Johnston once again to give his thoughts, feelings and opinions on all of the fights. What a weekend it's actually turned out to be. Some of these fights have turned out to be absolutely fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching these fights this weekend and I think, Lukey, I'm, I'm going to come straight over to you. First of all, because the big talking point when you came on last week was Triple G and Maratta and where's Triple G going to be at after this fight? Where do you think he's at now you've seen this victory, uh, which I thought was a great victory over Ryota Maratta? Well, we're good friends, so I, I shouldn't thank you for being on the program, but I want to thank you for having me on the program first and foremost. Now let's get into the boring stuff. Um Golovkin to me looks like a guy that's close to my age. He's fighting in spurts. Can we take a moment and appreciate how good of a spray tan he has? Like for a white guy that looks like a vampire, like that was one thing that stood out is like Golovkin goes hard at getting a tan. Like he's, he's on another level with that stuff. He doesn't feel like a fighter that can fight every minute of every round anymore. And it felt like with Murata, the fight was close until Golovkin got annoyed and he hit him really hard. And then he just took over because he just hits hard and he's a hall of famer. And um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of my basic thought. Well, I just wanted to let everybody know that I'm actually doing this podcast from my holiday home. I'm actually on holiday right now as I'm doing it. So if you hear any speeding cars or children screaming, it's because I'm on a holiday site doing this podcast, guys. So, you know, I hope you appreciate the uh, the grind that we're putting in here. And obviously, Luke is taking the time out to come on as well and talk about Triple G, Murata and, and, and Lubin and Fundora. But going back to Triple G then and 
the Murata fight. And, you know, I watched this fight. Uh, it was on Saturday afternoon for a change for us in the UK. You know, it was great that we got a fight at a normal time, a reasonable, sociable hour, whereas it was quite the table's turn for you guys in the US, you know, like getting up at four or five in the morning, like we do all the time to watch a fight. So that's the first thing I'm going to say is like, it was, it was a nice sort of turn of the tables, but in all seriousness, no, the fight is for me, it was a good display from triple G. It shows that age really isn't nothing just but a number. And even at the age of 40, yeah, to me, it looks like he slowed a little bit. I, I will say that first and foremost, but he's still got that technical ability and that, evident power slow his opponents down and bring the pace down to the level he needs to fight at now we were talking about you know what he's got left in the tank you mentioned in the preview about you know where where is he at where is he at now we're going to see this against Murata and I think we've seen as you just said earlier like he doesn't fight for every minute of every round now I think he's more tactical about what he's doing and Fair play to him. He's 40 years old. He lives a good life. Hopkins lived a good life. And look where Hopkins got to. Golovkin's kind of, you know, he's going down this route now where he, he's looking after his self outside of the ring. And it and it shows that I think his decline inside the ring maybe isn't rapid as what some fighters could be. Because you could get a 36-year-old fighter who's really not lived a life and be absolutely shot to bits. I mean... <laughs> I hate bringing up the British fighters, but Kelbrook and Amir Khan, for me, are 35 years old, respectively, and they both look, as fighters, shot to bits, declined. To me, they're like, you know, if you think of where Golovkin's at in his career now and how he how he's looked after himself in his, and that performance he put on against Murata, and you look at some of the other fighters at their ages, and it's like, it just, just goes to show you, really, who genuinely lives the life outside of the ring, because Golovkin has really done that so well and he's shown that he's still a threat. You know, he's a he's a, he's a unified champion. You know, he holds the two titles in the middleweight division and this proposed rubber match with Canelo Alvarez is, is, is on the cards now. We know there was obviously, you know, a provisional date set for it prior to, to this fight happening this past weekend. But, you know, the fact that now we've got to see what he has got left in the tank, my question would be, is there too much of a decline in Golovkin to beat the current prime Canelo? Or do you think the wily old Golovkin still has them abilities to cause Canelo problems? Well, that's a really good question. And you got to remember, I'm the guy that was basically writing Golovkin off in this fight. I thought Murata might actually have a chance to win. And now I'm leaving this fight sounding like someone that wasn't even me a week ago. I think Golovkin is as good as we could have hoped for. And he's falling back on his amateur pedigree. He's got one of the best jabs ever. He's got good movement. And I think my takeaway in this fight was I wish when he had fought David Lemieux and those type of fighters, we had to seen this Golovkin because I feel like the only thing I worry about is how much damage has Golovkin taken with that quote unquote Mexican style eating punches, all of that that made him a fan favorite. I kind of wish he had a mixed it up because this fight with Canelo is going to be about longevity. How much longevity can he have? That being said, there's an adage that a lot of times all great fighters have one last fight in them. I know Golovkin's a proud guy. He does not want to lose to Canelo. If there is still greatness in Golovkin, he will bring it back for Canelo. And I think beyond that, Canelo's entering what we call a trap fight. Everyone's going to have unreal expectations that Canelo should stop Golovkin. When Golovkin 
if you think about it, has never been dropped in a fight. And to say that the expectation for Canelo would be, oh, he has to beat this guy, just I think it's unfair and it gives Golovkin some some added motivation, but on top of added motivation, the public perception will put a lot less pressure on Golovkin. And it feels, my friend uh, Ismail, who I did a podcast earlier, brought up a great point. It feels like Ollie versus Ken Norton, where kind of Ken Norton always gave Ollie fits and it was always debatable. It's a very good point. There is a lot of fighters out there who genuinely match up with other fighters just so well. Like Ken Norton and Muhammad Ali is a perfect example. And I'm glad that you, you've brought that in via uh, one of your other podcasting colleagues. You know, like, this is a really good example for everybody listening. I think, like, you look at Canelo, you look at the age difference between him and Golovkin, you look at the performances they've both put on as of recent times, and automatically you look, right, well, look at Canelo. He's got to be the favourite. He's more active. He's a younger fighter. Golovkin looks like he's slowing down. He's not throwing as many punches in around. He's being a bit more precise about what he does inside of them three minutes inside of each round. But look at what Ken Norton did with Muhammad Ali. All three fights between them two were absolutely brilliant fights. And Ken Norton always give Muhammad Ali problems, you know, and you think after having two fights, you know, with each other that they'd know each other so well that maybe there could be an adaptation in there somewhere along the line by either fighter that would make one of them stand out from the other. And it was never the case with them two, really. And I think this might be the case with Canelo and Golovkin having their rubber matches. Like, these two fighters know each other so well inside the ring. Yeah, there's going to be some changes for that fight. It isn't going to be like the very first fight, which was highly controversial in a lot of people's eyes and highly debatable. It's not going to be that. What we're going to probably find is it's going to be something slightly different where, you know, Golovkin looks more for, for those weaknesses and, you know, he, he does fight in spurts and he, he doesn't try to fight for three minutes of every round, whereas Canelo, I think will be the opposite, and I think he, he will try to do that. And I think this is where we'll get to you know, who really is the superior fighter overall. I think you can put Golovkin's back to the wall as much as you want, even at 40 years old. You can put his back to the wall and say, OK, you know, he's older, he looks like he's declining, he's getting slower, Canelo's literally in his prime now, this is him in his prime, at his complete best. There's not much more we're going to see differently from him at this point. And I think we're just going to get a really good clash of styles. And ultimately, we'll we'll get the overall winner. We'll get the better man. The better man will win that fight on the night. And it excites me for Golovkin more than it does for Canelo because Canelo, with him being younger, we know he's definitely got a good few more years left. Whereas Golovkin, I don't feel as much longer left. That time window of him in a box is, is, is getting limited now. It's getting short. And I could only see 18 months at a maximum. Of, of Golovkin being in, in this sport as a fighter. Maybe the Canelo fight could end up being his last fight. I, I don't know his intentions. I, I don't know any of his team around him. I don't know if he has got past that fight. But for me, you know, if you if you go in there with a Canelo and, and, and maybe he was to inflict a, a second defeat on Canelo, maybe he was to do that, then I'd retire. Personally, I'd be like, right, you know, I've done what I set out to do. I wanted to prove to everybody that I could beat Canelo. I wanted to avenge that loss on my record. And I think if he did that, with titles on the line included, I think then there'd be no reason for him to carry on in the sport, personally. It's an exciting it's an exciting prospect. I'm looking forward to it, Luke. Here. Have you got any 
early thoughts now, even months down the line before it actually happens. Have you got any early thoughts on on what I've said about the the contrasting styles and the prime versus aging fighter? Well, you laid it out very nicely. I think that it might be a a not as action packed fight because I think that Golovkin is going to fight probably one of his better fights of the last couple of years because of the motivation. And I think Canelo is going to not want to lose this fight. And when you have two guys that don't want to lose, what happens? You have a lot of guys that aren't going to throw reckless abandon. And when you don't have reckless abandon, there's going to be a lot of thinking. And I think that we might get some lulls because outside of Fury Wilder 3, the third fights and trilogies tend to be the snoozer that we kind of forget happened. So I think that the one thing is this does have the expectation to be a, a very tense fight, but I think it's going to be more of a theatrical fight where us, the authors, the storytellers, we love this fight because of the drama around it, but the drama might be from the characters and the moments in the ring, but not from the action in the ring. And my hope is not that you ever want to hope is Golovkin's resume and his career has really gotten downplayed with, with the loss of HBO from boxing and kind of the loss to Canelo. And I think that he won both fights. So I would like at the very least Golovkin's to end his career as not a shamed or forgotten fighter, because I feel like there's a subsection of the world that if he lost this fight bad, just want to um, rewrite history and basically say he was a meaningless fighter when he was a very good middleweight power puncher. He just wasn't Bernard Hopkins. He wasn't Marvin Hagler. He wasn't James Tony. But he was a tier that should be mentioned in that conversation. I think he needs that win. Personally, for legacy aspects, he ne- he needs that win. So if anything, with maybe him being featured as a as a bit of an underdog in that fight, maybe that will give him that one last bit of fire under him. Not like I don't think he needs it, but I think that that additional fire that maybe he had earlier in his career, that might just give him that one last hurrah to go on and, and give us a a great ending to his career before people, like you say, do start to speculate as to where does he sit as an all-time top 10 middleweight and you think of all the middleweight champions of history and you start to put him further down the list when you start to compare resumes with other fighters and you start thinking, oh, well, you know, who is he actually for? Who is he really you know, prime for prime? And then you look at other people's resumes and you think, well, actually quite above them for whatever reason. I suppose it depends, again, on parameters of how you put a top 10 together because it's so subjective and I don't want to dwell too much on that because I know how subjective that conversation can be but I'm excited to see this rubber match I'll be totally honest you know I was a bit skeptical going into the Murata fight wondering will he will he get beaten will it end up being like Lukey says will it be you know like a, a, a split decision will he be out hustled what he showed me in that fight and, and what he proved to I think the world is that he's he's still got quite a bit left to offer and I think he's still got a lot to offer in the Canelo third fight and that does excite me and it makes me excited for what is ahead and you know as storytellers we hope that they do present us with a great story going into this third fight and it's our hope that this does happen but as we know not all these things can be done the way we want them to be but for me his performance at the weekend just summarizing on the Murata fight uh, it was it was good I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed how he conducted himself throughout the whole thing. 
And I want to also give props to Ryota Murata. That's something we haven't done. We haven't spoke about Murata. We've only spoke about Golovkin. I want to give props to Murata because Murata came in with all the best intentions as a champion to try and keep his belt and also win a portion of another belt. He wanted to win the IBF belt like Golovkin had and it was obvious that was his intention. And early on when he started to work the body against Golovkin, I felt like this was a, a pretty good tactic and I felt like maybe he'll slow him down over the course of the fight. But I think Golovkin's power actually was quite evident in the fight that he's still got quite a lot of it and he's still got enough to keep a younger, fresher fighter out of his face and, and, and off him so that he can work and he, he can use that effective jab. And that was what was impressive about Golovkin, but Murata was impressive when he started to, me, use the right tactics to try and slow uh, an older Golovkin down to try and get his powerful shots off, which he did. He did at, at points. And, you know, you could sort of see when he, when he did hit Golovkin, you could see Golovkin was, you know, having to go think about what to do next. And he came up with his plan and, for me, he executed it really, really well. So I can't fault Murata for what he tried to do in his home country. But Golovkin, good for him. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, I mean, Murata to me, let's not forget he's 36 years old and he's also an older guy. He, he falls into like, let's make some fun fights with him. Let's get Chris Eubank Jr. to Japan. Let's do those type of fights. He's a, one of the most decorated Japanese boxers historically. He's, I believe, a two-time world champion, a gold medalist. He's always going to be on the Mount Rushmore of Japanese boxing. Let's just send him off with some nice fights, you know, to, to kind of end the, end the legacy, and then he'll probably turn into a promoter or something. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he probably deserves it. He probably deserves it. He was a world champion of the day. It's not like... He was just a challenger or a contender. He, he was a world champion. Let's not forget that. That's something that I think sometimes... And a gold think. medalist. Exactly. Exactly. You you can't forget these, these facts about these fighters. So I think it would be nice to have some more big fights maybe in the next 12, 18, 24 months. But quite realistically, would he become a world champion again following this? It would really depend on the landscape of the division and how things could change above him. If if there was a change in which a title became vacant, then maybe he could be a champion again. But I think at this point, his age, what he's given to the sport and what he's done for Japanese boxing. Yeah, you're right. He deserves a, a, a nice little payday, a great fight and a great way to end his career. So credit where credit's due for 
Ryota Murata and both uh, Gennady Golovkin. So that was the main fight. That was the one we previewed mainly on our episode last week. But the one fight we said do not sleep on was the one fight that turned out to be a fight of the year contender. Ericsson Lubin, Sebastian Fundora. Luke, go. Tell me what you thought about that fight. I mean, it, it made us look like we know what we're talking about, right? So Lubin, the big thing is he hits hard. And Fandora, he's really tall. He throws a lot of punches. And he's going to put pressure. Fandora, we've seen this type of fighter before. He's been called Jarrett Hurd. He's been called Paul Williams. He's been called Willie Nelson. These type of fighters, to beat them, you either have to commit to boxing or you have to bang them out. And in this fight, Lubin, who in large parts was winning the fight, physically could not hold up to the pressure and the volume of Fandora which was, I let me use the word relentless. He was relentless. I felt as though in rounds seven and eight, he actually lost the rounds on purpose to a degree just to apply pressure, just to land shots, knowing that he was actually going for a knockout. And I think Fandora gets discredited for the amount of talent he shows in the ring. Credit to his father, Freddie, who's uh, the trainer. He's more technically skilled than people are giving him. That left uppercut was like an homage to Oscar De La Hoya to me, the left 45 that he landed. And his belief in what he does is something I don't always see in modern fighters. I'll go out on a limb. He's, he's obviously world champion level. And with the performance he has, he notched a belt in potentially being a Hall of Fame fighter. He beat a fellow world-ranked respected peer in that guy's prime that's what hall of fame fighters do i'm not saying he will be one but he did something that a hall of fame fighter accomplishes the first thing i'll say about sebastian fundora was not how surprised i was but how easy it seemed to be for him to get on the inside of lubin and hurt him his inside fighting for a fighter who significantly has the physical attributes over uh, most of his opponents that he gets in the ring with at that division, and he's always probably going to, is unbelievable. To be honest with you, it, 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 you don't believe that a guy of his stature can fight like a five foot eight, five foot nine brawler on the inside, but yet he can do it, and he can do it with relative ease. And that was so impressive to me. And that left uppercut, as you rightly pointed out, was was just again. He just picks his punches really nicely and it's obvious they've been working and working really hard in the gym to to get these things spot on because, you know, it was it wasn't a totally faultless fight from him. But, you know, barring the little mistakes he included him getting knocked down, of course, you know, he was he was tactically sound. He was tactically spot on and that's obviously credit to to his team and himself and the dedication they're clearly showing outside of the ring to, to be ready for such a, a fight of this magnitude but Lubin also had his part to play in this fight you know you know how difficult it must be for a fighter always trying to punch upwards constantly constantly trying to punch upwards to get your opponent and that must have been difficult for for Lubin throughout spells of that that fight in particular and I don't know many fighters that will have had to have done the type of training he will have done to be able to fight a guy as as tall in a division where you just literally don't expect to see a six foot five fighter. 
and it must have been difficult for him to try and adjust in that fight to be able to get the shots off that he needed to make an impact throughout the duration of the fight as as long as it lasted which obviously it went to to the ninth round and you know he, he got a great shot off on Fondora in the seventh and he started to unload them combinations on him and you could see for the first time really in Fundora's career he was in trouble and he had this adversity in front of him and Lubin capitalised but Fundora showed his resilience and his heart and determination and he gave everything in this fight which he needed to to show that he is a world-class opponent he is probably going to be waiting for the winner of Charlo versus Castano too and quite honestly you know, looking at the way he performed there, I would have him beating both of them. And and that's me being totally honest now. It's like, on that performance, on what he's shown and what he did in that fight, Fundora, for me, you know, he could be the king of... I mean, I'm not going to go that far because I want him to have to consecutively put forth these performances. But I, I did sing his praises. That I said he accomplished something that's a Hall of Fame type accomplishment. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's trending towards if he keeps doing these things, he's going to be a superstar. And I think that you hit on something physics, right? We never talk about physics, but physics is important. There's simple laws of physics that help us understand the world. If you're punching down, you can get more velocity. Think of it as a car. You drive a car. It's easier to go faster going down a hill than going up a hill. It's easier to punch harder when someone's punching down on something as opposed to if you're punching up. Now, I think the flip side is oftentimes big guys don't know how to fight on the inside. So when a little guy gets to the inside, oh my God, it's panic mode. They pull straight back. They do dumb habits. What makes Fendora so interesting is it appears he's much more comfortable fighting people inside than he is at distance. Now, I don't feel fully comfortable saying that because for all we know, we could start boxing guys and winning fights on the back foot. We haven't seen it yet at the highest level. We saw bits against Sergio Garcia. But Fandora is a guy that I think is grossly underestimated by the boxing media. And he's in the conversation, in my opinion, with, um, oh my God, why am I forgetting the guy's name? The guy that beat Michael Conlon. It's those two are the fight of the years. And it's, it's, those are the fighter of the years. This is the, this is a top two performance of the year for me. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. So far this year, we are in April and we've seen Lee Wood, Michael Conlon, and we've seen Sebastian Fundora, Erickson Lubin produce two absolute fantastic fights of the year. And, I'm happy that we, we got to see another great fight because, you know, it makes us feel better when we when we sit and do the podcast and we know we've had such a an entertaining and, and enthralling fight, entertaining to talk about, as opposed to what can be a lot of negativity when you get really poor scorecards and really bad performances by fighters that are achieved. It's nice to be talking about a, a fight with two competitors in there that literally give it their all and, and try the best and you can't knock the fighters for doing that and the people around them for putting them in that physically and mentally to be able to get in the ring and, and produce such a, a great fight. So I was I was really happy to see this fight and we talked about last week also on the undercard of it, Tony Harrison, Sergio Garcia. Tony Harrison got the nod on unanimous decision over Sergio Garcia and I felt like going to this fight... 
Tony Harrison looked like the Tony Harris. I felt like he he did really well to come back and show that again he's another fighter in the same division as Lubin and Fundora that you know maybe just maybe Fundora could be the next opponent for Harrison. Maybe that could be a, a route that we get to see prior to you know seeing the winner of Charlo versus Castano too. If you're Fundora, you know, that's a fight that maybe you want to try and look at. You want to solidify yourself in the division. You want to get the media talking about you a lot more. You need big victories. You need another big victory. He goes on, fights the winner, Charlo Castano. Then we get to see really who ultimately is the, the best fighter of that division. I mean, that's just me getting a bit overexcited, thinking that this could actually happen. The logistics of it are sometimes not always what we want them to be. But Tony Harrison then. Luke, uh, did you think he's back to the old Tony Harrison that we've seen before? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, when Tony looks great, he really looks great. He looks like a fighter who was raised in the area he was. He's got that Michigan, Detroit style. You see that he has elements of greatness with him. And Tony is a very, very good fighter. The big thing is with Tony, it's all about staying focused in his fights and it's about putting together consecutive performances. The main issue I've had with Tony is he'll look like a million bucks and then he'll look like 50 bucks in the next fight. So I want to see Tony put together a couple of performances where we say that's a million dollar type fighter because on, on Saturday night, he put forth a million dollar performance an athlete that looks like a professional athlete at the world level that could fight any fighter and you'd go that was spectacular i want to see tony consistently do that because tony's another guy where i think even though people feel like tony's story has been written i think tony could be the best 154 pounder if he put together a slew of performances you know because look at his stablemate alicia Baumgartner. she had one loss early in her career and then people wanted to write her off. And now she's at the upper echelon of her division. For me, Tony, it's just about can he keep the mental uh, the mental focus to, to win fight after fight and perform this way? Because if he can, he becomes one of the most dangerous fighters in this division. Well, I can't disagree with that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how things do pan out in this division because it started to become an exciting division once more. It was a couple of years ago. It seemed to die off a little bit for me personally. But then it's now seemed to come to life again. And Super Welterweight Division seems to be a, a, an underrated division to, to, to see at the moment. Like Nobody really appreciates it as much until you get to see fights that we've seen this weekend. So I'm excited to see the, the landscape of how this changes now over the course of the rest of 2022. Once we've seen Castano and Charlo have their rematch... Maybe we'll get to know a little bit more about how things will be manoeuvred going forward. So that was the other big fight this we wanted to discuss. But we talked about Ryan Garcia a lot in the last episode, in the preview for that weekend. Now, Ryan Garcia got his victory against Emmanuel Tago, and he had Tago down in the second round. 
and I'm interested, given what we said on the last episode about him, like, where are your thoughts now with him after seeing that? Are you still a bit divided on, on who he is and, and, and how he conducts himself? Or were you really impressed with his performance? Underwhelmed. You know, I, I saw a guy that was fighting like a prospect. He wasn't able to cut the ring off. At time, he was completely relying upon his power. I didn't see him setting shots up. Maybe it's just I don't understand what he's doing. I saw at times he was looking to land a big shot. He'd land a big shot, and then his distance would be messed up. I'm looking at a guy who's having trouble being able to put combination punches together because he's committing so much on the front foot, he's getting off balance. These are mistakes I see on fighters that are on the DAZN, the Matchroom YouTube that I love watching before the bell. I watch a lot of undercard boxing, and these are the things I, I look for young fighters to grow early in their careers to go from, okay, they're really on the front foot to being able to put sequences of punches together. Ryan, to me, took a big step back. I get that to go is a very tough opponent. I get that he came in with the mindset of, I'm going to make Ryan look bad. But guess what? When you're a superstar, you have to be the part. There's going to be guys who are more are not as gifted as you who come in with mindsets to make fights hard and you have to be exceptional because you're the ticket seller. You're the draw. You have to make the fight. And I felt like there were too many times Ryan Garcia was compliant of just following Emmanuel Tago around the ring, as opposed to being a true ring general. And I think that comes down to, he didn't want to walk into a punch. And I think that's concerning. If we just do the eye test, looking at guys like tank Davis, Devin Haney, uh, Teofimo Lopez, uh, Michelle Riviera, all these guys at lightweight, they wouldn't have looked this way against Tago. I'm not saying that the fight wouldn't have been hard, but they would not have had these same flaws. And it makes me question, is he truly a prospect contender, a world-rated fighter? I don't know after that. Well, you'd think after 22 fights, you'd started to be looking at your world title contender, wouldn't you? But in that fight, I saw elements of him where I was like, why are you taking this back 10, 12 fights from from where you from where you were before? Why why are you going back to this sort of style of trying to be the entertainer, trying to trying to look for the knockout more than anything was what I saw. I saw a man desperate to get a knockout, desperate to please people, desperate to please his his social media following, desperate to you know, please the people that are in the crowd that are there on the night. That That's all I saw. I, I saw a guy that was not using the attributes that he has and what we have C4. I think he what he needs to do for me is to start, he needs to start implementing his skills and ability. And he's not doing, he's not doing that in the fights. He's, he's not showing what ability I actually genuinely believe he has. I think he's showing that, you know, he just wants to try and please and have these highlight real KOs. And, and you know, what's going to happen there is you can see the writing on the wall already is that he's going to do that against somebody that's going to catch him, going to hurt him and going to cause him a defeat on his record. And it will be then and only then that them adjustments are, are made. And that's the sad thing about it is like you could make these adjustments at this stage and go on to be a world title contender, potentially a world champion. But at this stage, it's like he's still fighting, like he's only had five fights, like he's he's raw and he's rugged, and he's really not because we've seen elements of him where he, he displays different levels of ability. And in this fight, he didn't do that. 
and I'm interested to see where he goes next with with this career now like we talked about this in the preview show we talked about like how how is he going to move his career forward into world title contention if he continues to act the way he does outside of the ring and underwhelms us the way he is inside the ring i mean i think we already have the answer right we we we've seen this story we saw this on espn it was called edgar berlanga edgar's looking for the punch to land and it's not landing and the fans are there and they're like, we're waiting for the punch to land. And it's not landing. Ryan. Was there any difference between Ryan versus Steve roll or uh, Berlanga and Steve rolls versus Ryan Garcia and Tago besides Steve rolls through more. It's virtually the same performance. It was vir- virtually the same type of issues. And I think that it just shows how certain fighters are listening to everything but maybe the coaches. And I don't want to be that critical, but it looks like those two fighters in particular are really impacted by social media and they really go viral and they want to have these moments because they know that big celebrities are very tuned into them. And if they get this big knockout, um, some super famous person can't wait to, to put out a social media clip on their feed and go, man, look at what Ryan did. And it just feels like a lot of these great fighters are a lot more freer in the sense that they're literally competing to be be the best or find their spot within legacy. And with Ryan, what I'm seeing is a boxer who's also a business and his business is to put forth things that people want to see a boxer guy does. And more concerning about Ryan after the fight, did we hear anything about the direction he wants to go? Any big fights? No. It, it, I, I'm not seeing urgency, you know, and I, I think that if he were to lose, maybe he comes back. But I don't think Ryan's when he loses, it's going to be the countdown to his career being over. Well, only time's going to tell, isn't it? How his career does play out. I think everyone will be watching a, uh, a keen interest to see whether he ends up being uh, a wasted talent, uh, a what if or a shoulda, woulda, coulda, or whether he does go on to fulfill that potential. So that that fight with Tago was the other main fight we did speak about. Now, forgive me, because there was a fight on this weekend that I completely overlooked, and that was Michaela Mayer's title defense. I completely overlooked this fight. And then... Sunday I did the mo- same thing. Sunday morning, Sunday morning, I was like, I've missed it completely. So I've caught up with it, and I've seen it, and I've seen a performance, and I'm not going to go too much into that, because... You know, I only was able to catch the highlights, so it'd be uh, quite ignorant of me to try and talk about a fight I've only seen limited information on in terms of the uh, the highlights that are available. So I just saw that she got the win. I saw that she got the victory. I, I've always been impressed with her so far. Uh, I think, you know, after this now, it's, it's for me, it's just more about looking at trying to unify the division again and, 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 and grab another title. Uh, I'm just interested to see where her career goes following this. And, and following, you know, the, the fights that are around. I mean, you mentioned Alicia Baumgardner earlier on. You know, we're going to be talking a little bit about the fight card that she's on in, here in Manchester in the UK just next weekend when Conor Ben fights Chris Van Heerden. When we do the preview show for that, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about her. But, you know, I was just really 
gutted that I didn't get the chance to be able to speak about her uh, in a bit more detail. And I don't want to dwell too much on it because obviously I've only seen bits of the fight as opposed to seeing the whole fight. So I don't want to be ignorant to, to the people that are listening. Well, I watched this because I didn't. I, did, I only got to see highlights of it. Uh, but overall, I was impressed with Golovkin. I was impressed with Fundora. I enjoyed the boxing this weekend. Uh, that was the main thing for me. Was like I wasn't sure what we was going to get, but genuinely, I I did enjoy it, and I feel quite optimistic going forward into to the, to the next weekend, which we'll be discussing in a separate show. But Luki, have you got any final thoughts for this weekend for the action? Anything that you know may be of interest to the listeners? Maybe Shane Mosley Jr. getting the victory over Gabe Rosado was something maybe didn't people didn't pick up on as well. Just a couple of news and notes. So I think it's big that Michaela Mayer re-signed with Top Rank because I think ESPN is showing a major interest in Michaela, and I think corporate America is very interested in Michaela Mayer. And I think moving forward, she's going to continue to be kind of the the next generation face of women's boxing. And I think that she's going to have decades long impact on women's boxing that people aren't seeing just yet. So I think that's a story to look at. Obviously, Michaela's a dog. I think she's probably like one of the three best women's boxers in the world. The, the accomplishments aren't there yet, but I think that when she gets in those fights, she will be that. Um Frustrated with Showtime, a guy I've known for a lot of my life, Aaron Coley, fought Jamonte Clark. It was a split decision win. This is a guy who I think has lost like three out of his four split decision fights. He's a hard luck fighter. Kind of inexcusable to me, the fact that I couldn't find a stream of this. You know, I feel like we live in an era where if you have an undercard fight on a big program where not everyone can afford to go to these cards and it's it's on a big fight card like Fendora versus Lubin. I think we need to get to a point where at least some of these marquee bouts are streamed because it's like, this is the era good for Shane Mosley jr. Um, on my podcast, I do a full breakdown of that. Probably most casual fight fans or people that are getting to the end of the show. They're probably wanting to make a sandwich or get home from work. So they probably don't want to hear it, but it's nice to see Shane Mosley get a win over um Rosado because he we saw him have success on the contender show. He hasn't really translated as a pro. Rosado, it seems like the wars are catching up. And then also some um rough news. Guy in my area, Stockton, California, Manuel Jaimez. He lost his WBC youth lightweight title in Mexico over the weekend. Didn't get the pay-per-view. Not completely sure what the freak happened, but I'm definitely going to be following that because he was an undefeated fighter by where I live. Known him for a long time. Very good fighter. And I was just sad to see that because I know how having any little belt is negotiating leverage to get yourself a really big fight that could put a down payment on a house. And with that in mind, that was a good way to end the show. And for everybody listening, if you want to go and check up a more detailed analysis of the weekend's boxing from some of the fights over in america that we've not covered here then of course you can go and check out lukey's youtube channel itr boxing for all them different breakdowns and segments of some of these fights that have happened over the weekend also for us as always you can find us at btr 
Boxing Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, your reaction, your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you across social media about what you think about Golovkin and Canelo 3, what you think about Fundora's future in the division and the Super Welterweight division, and also Tony Harrison's. What are your thoughts on Ryan Garcia? Is he an accident waiting to happen? Or is he actually going to be the superstar people make him out to be? Please do go and check us out all across social media at BTR Boxing Pod. Let us know your thoughts, feelings and opinions on this weekend's action just gone. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Podcast Network.